when I was able to stand in my truth and say, I'm an author, I'm an interior designer, I am whatever. I think if you're standing in that truth and believe, you know, to the very core of your being, that is who you are. And you understand, like, when you say something like that, that means there are people that you're meant to serve. That means that you're not meant to keep your gift for yourself. There are opportunities for you to serve because your gift will make room for you. Your gift is going to open those doors. But standing in that identity, I can count off like at least five examples of the biggest doors of opportunity that open. It all begins by understanding the mind. I want to be happy now. I don't care about the future. I want to be happy right now. You are not alone. You are never, ever, ever alone in this. It's helped my voice grow and given me freedom to be creative on my own. I'm Christina Barcy. Welcome to Be Bold Begin, a podcast dedicated to you, the creative, the healer, and the innovator. The topics and conversations we have here are designed to help you discover what might be getting in your way and offer you tools, techniques, and guidance to move through them. I live in the imposter's body more than I live in my own body. I don't have to feel like I don't deserve this. This is where creativity and healing intersect. If you decide to be bold and begin, you have the opportunity to feel humbled and empowered. I totally believe that. I'm a certified Kaizen Muse creativity coach, a certified Reiki energy healer, and an entrepreneur, artist, and presenter. I will share with you my experiences, my proven tools and techniques that helped me and my clients and loved ones shift and expand in the areas they most desired. This is a gentle and open space where you will hear how others are being bold to encourage you to begin your own journey or expand the one you're on. This is Be Bold Again. Hi, welcome back. This is Barcy, your host. And today we're diving into a conversation that I've been really enjoying exploring lately. But let me start by asking you this question. Do you feel like you are leveraging your natural gifts, the things that are either easy for you or that you just love in the way you earn your living? So I'll show that for me, I'm aiming to align with this more and more, but there are still some structures that I've built in my life that feel a little separate from this, but there's really no wrong answer. Your answer to this question just gives you information on where you're at with this idea. And you may even feel like they don't need to align, but I do want to talk about this some more with my guest today, Claire Brilio, who we've had on another show I produce a couple of times called Hack My Business. And it was there after a recording session that I discovered there was so much more beyond the work she does with communities and disaster preparedness and business that she's delving into. So Claire is also an interior designer, a jewelry designer, a dream interpreter, and has recently moved into spiritual direction. So I I'm really excited to bring on Claire. Welcome, Claire. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you, Barcy. I am even more honored to be here now that I know that you have this other community that I wasn't aware of. And I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts and I just felt like what a moment to be invited into the space you've created and have a conversation around this topic for this moment in time that I think is so important. So thank you for creating this intentional space. I love it. And I feel like I found my people. Oh my gosh. 
That just hit me right <laughs> in the heart. Thank you for opening that way. That is what this is all about. So I really appreciate you showing up with such open arms and feeling aligned with the space already. So thank mm-hmm. you for saying that. <laughs> yes, I love, it. I love it. Thank you. So really my first question to you is just to help us understand what spiritual direction means and what that is. Can you help us just get a handle on specifically what it is that you just moved into doing? Yes. So if you looked up spiritual direction, you might find a million different ideas of what it is, but I define spiritual direction as the practice of guiding people toward a more intimate relationship with their own spirituality. And historically, I studied under a Jesuit priest who was tutored by his spiritual director for 40 plus years. And the tradition is that you study under a spiritual director to become a spiritual director, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. so I did that for a period of time. And I just felt that it was in real alignment with a very long path of trying to find my most authentic self and helping others find their most authentic self. Thank you for that. So that helps me understand kind of just a little bit of what it requires to become one. But can you tell us a little bit more about what you do or is that baked into the last sentence you just shared, like helping people find their most authentic selves? I think that is fruit of what can happen, but I have found that in my long journey of being a multi-passionate person with varying interests and gifts and trying to find real alignment in all those spaces, that it really wasn't until I connected with my own spirituality that I had the honest answers to the questions I was asking about my identity. Who am I? What is my purpose and what am I here to do? So for me, it starts at that core of your spirit of understanding, first believing I have a purpose and I have a design. And, you know, a lot of people now are studying human design and the Enneagram, and those have Mm -hmm. all been part of my journey as well. But it wasn't until I kind of stumbled upon the practice of spiritual direction that I realized, oh, this can be me helping another person kind of wade through their own spirituality and who they think God is and how that relates to their own personhood in a very practical way, in a one-on-one setting and holding space for the moments that they share within an hour or two to kind of help Mm -hmm. guide them again towards that relationship, towards a more intimate connection with themselves and with who they identify God as in their life. Okay. Wow. That feels, first of all, very supportive and such a great way to what I would call maybe in the personal growth realm too. It's like how we grow into ourselves by discovering Mm -hmm. ourselves and having some guidance feels like a relief. Like, oh, good. There's someone to help with that. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) There is. We exist. (laughs) That truly is wonderful to hear. But you mentioned your journey a bunch as you shared that answer. So I would like to talk a little bit about that. Can you just take us through how you discovered that something was kind of missing and how you knew where to look and how you even got into this modality, I'll call it, of spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have an interesting story in that I was raised in a very conservative Christian home, very black and white thinking, very 
fundamental, I would say, in the way that other people might describe Christianity that maybe don't identify as a Christian, but certainly far right, let's just say far right politically and religiously. I went to church three times a week. We went to chapel every day. I was just immersed in this culture of religion wow. until I was a junior in high school. What was interesting about that is that that was my experience with my nuclear family, my immediate family, but I was raised in Ojai, California, which, listen, I mean, I'm 40 years old now, but in the 80s, very few people knew what Ojai was or where Ojai was. And it's a little town, if you don't know where it is, between Santa Barbara and LA, that really is like a spiritual center for a lot of different world religions, for different ways of thinking, theosophy, Wiccans, you name it. I've seen mm -hmm. them in Ojai. And for spiritually sensitive people, it's what we call a thin place where you can feel the spiritual atmosphere more like Sedona, Arizona might be another example or Shasta, Mount Shasta being another. And so for that reason, we'd have people come to the valley to start their mission or start their spiritual center. And that exposure to what my parents referred to as like, quote, new age, <laughs> that was right. the buzzword back then, always yes. intrigued me because I did feel this intimate connection with who I believed God was at the time growing up. And I would have these encounters that I couldn't talk about with other people. I would have angelic encounters. I would see angels. I would hear God's voice. And oh my gosh. Yeah, I couldn't talk about that with my community because that wasn't their belief system that they held. And yet all around me were these people who would have these experiences with angels or they loved crystals. You know, there was all this connection with earth and understanding of like, well, source, God, spirit, however you describe them is responsible for what we see around here. And so there was this connection to nature and just a more holistic way of living that I knew deep down, even as a young kid, there's something missing in this container that I was born in. And I have to find out what is meant for me. Can I ask you a quick question, actually, because yes. you grew up in Ojai. First of all, I didn't know that about Ojai. I've mm -hmm. never really spent time there, but you hear about it as this sort of nice place to spend the weekend. <laughs> That's it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I've never heard anyone describe it this way. But my question is really, do you think that you grew up there as part of like your spirit chose to be there to kind of ignite this journey for you, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. With every fiber of my being and chose the family I was in, chose exactly where I was born and all those energies combined to make this perfect storm of creating a question, you know, that required a journey. And that oh, is what really that. at the heart of every part of our hero's journey, right? If we identify as waymakers, we always have a problem to move through. And so that was probably my largest problem. It was that angst, that inner angst of like, how am I going to get what I want in this religious container? Because it's not enough for me. And it doesn't represent the person that I have come to know as spirit. So your journey started much younger than I was expecting, which is actually not unusual, meaning those that I speak to. It's like we have a deep knowing when we're pretty young, I'd say immediately. And then we sometimes, not all of us and not all the time, kind of wear away or shut it down or push it away or try to forget or whatever it is, because like you said, it doesn't fit the model of whatever's being presented to us. It's either okay or normalized or whatever the container mm -hmm. is. 
So that's very interesting to me to hear you start there. And I have to ask, like you said you could see angels. What was that experience like for you as a young person? It was very normal. And it was normal in that I assumed that other people were feeling and seeing the same thing. And so I would have very vivid dreams. And sometimes they were so vivid. And some of them were scary. I have seen this with people who have had night tears or other types of encounters at night. I think that they feel uncomfortable with, I'll just say, I think it's common with people who are spiritually sensitive and working through that and kind of pushing past that. I mean, I had to do that work myself so that I was seeing light more than I was seeing dark and focusing on that. But that's a whole nother story. Really, it was just something that, again, I assumed everyone was feeling and sensing around me. And it wasn't until probably I was like 13 or so that I remember hearing a pastor talk about how those types of encounters didn't happen anymore. They didn't believe that they happened anymore. So that's called in that world, that's called cessationism, meaning that those types of encounters or gifts or whatever, they don't happen anymore. They happened during Jesus's time and now they're gone. And that's speaking from a Christian tradition. That's as my background is, that's what really kind of clarified that for me. And I thought, well, this obviously doesn't fit my narrative and my (laughs) understanding. So I'm going to have to find something more. Did you ever go through a period where you like, turned it off. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I did. And I mean, I was in one part of my life at one time in my life, tried to turn off the dreams as much as I could. But I realized probably in my early 20s, actually, that spirit uses very specific languages with each of us to communicate. And so if I wanted to turn off, like receiving dreams, for example, then I was turning off one avenue of their ability to communicate with me. And I see signs and numbers and, you know, like we can just go down the list, but I realized that it was also kind of suppressing that spiritual sensitivity to other things that were happening in my environment. And I thought, I don't want this anymore. And at one point I said, it's all or nothing. It's just Mm -hmm. all or nothing. And it's because my life energy and my life source is so connected to that source that I was like turning off the Mm -hmm. tap and it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me at all. Turning it off. Right. Do you mind sharing what period of life that was for you? Yeah, that was in my early 20s. And I was living in Santa Barbara and I felt really lost. And frankly, I was really angry at the time because of what I had to kind of deconstruct or what I was given, I should say, from my upbringing. And, you know, deconstruction is a term that's used very widely now in Christian or post-Christian circles with people deconstructing their faith tradition and deciding if what they want to keep and what they don't want to keep. But that started early for me in my 20s. And I realized, honestly, that the root of what I was trying to kind of sift through were all of these beliefs about who I was. So again, back to identity, what I had access to, It's also connected to identity and how I showed up in the world, all related to my own idea of worthiness and the beliefs I had held that created a sense of unworthiness because Mm -hmm. of the environment that I grew up in. And it was all connected to those ideas of worthiness. And my return to worthiness was really the beginning of that journey, that turning point when I realized that. I really like the way you share that and it being a return to worthiness. I just wrote about that this morning, actually. Oh my gosh. On my email list. It's 
I should send it to you. I didn't use that exact phrasing, but it was all about our self-worth and that mm-hmm. we already have it ultimately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's not somewhere mm-hmm. out there outside of us that we have to go achieve. That's the gist, but it resonates with me when you say that. And I guess my next question really is how did you come to that realization that that is, it took me quite a while mm-hmm. <laughs> to figure that mm-hmm. out. And it took me kind of hearing people say things like that. And I was like, that's so strange. Like I've never heard that before. How is that possible? It's so the opposite of what I grew up with as well. And it took a lot of sort of deconstruction in my own life as well. It wasn't for me religion, but just my own belief systems about how life worked. But how did you come to figure that out? Was it through the deconstruction or was there a moment or what were you doing? There is a funny story, (laughs) (laughs) funny, sad, great story. So back in my early 20s, I mentioned I was angry because I was trying to sift through these ideas and I had these goals in my life. Like I'm going to live in Santa Barbara. I'm going to be an executive. I'm going to have a coach bag. I'm going to (laughs) shop at Banana Republic, you know, like all these small dreams that someone could create from an environment that told them that they didn't have access to great wealth, right? Like there were a lot of things that limited my capacity to dream because God doesn't like people having money and God doesn't like people, you know, all these ideas created a very large scarcity mindset. So in my early 20s, I just strove after all the things. And I had all the Tiffany jewelry and all the coach bags and all the things that anybody could want. And I was so unhappy. So you did it. You actually achieved those things. Well, I wasn't an executive. I mean, let's be honest. I think I was 24, but I lived in Santa Barbara and I had this like fancy life, you know, I mean, I had this life and I wasn't happy and I was so angry and so sad about it. And one afternoon I went to this place and I think this is the typical story, but this is my story. I got to the place where I said, I can't do this anymore. I went around my little amazing, cute little studio, took everything in that studio that was attached to my identity, where I could literally feel a spiritual tie. Like if I don't wear this brand or hold this bag or whatever, I'm going to feel poor or whatever it is. I'm going to throw it in a pile in the middle of the room and say, I do not want to be that person anymore. I refuse to be that person because what I want is to connect with my authentic self. And what I'm not finding is any connection to my authentic self through this path through materialism, which is ironic because of what I will share moving forward. But I threw everything into that pile and I said, I'm done. And I surrender. And I said, show me a new way. And that was my turning point. That's profound. I don't think that's typical at all, especially at that age. I think that we have moments that show us curves and transformations and choices to make. But I do think that that's really profound that you recognized it so clearly in this way in your 20s like I feel this energy of motivation to answer this question you mentioned earlier just through each year of your life like you're just trying to get to the thing Mm -hmm. I can feel it I can feel the energy behind that each time even through pursuing your executive lifestyle Mm -hmm. So that's really interesting. It's starting to make sense why it happened for you, in my opinion, maybe a little faster than some others. We can't really compare everyone's journey as their own and different. And we're not, it doesn't make sense to compare them, but just compared to my own, like Mm -hmm. you were very ahead of me in that regard. And I think that's really special that you were able to do that. Thank you. 
Yeah, it didn't feel special at the time, of course. It felt yeah, <laughs> like my doesn't... life was like falling apart completely. <laughs> I know. But <laughs> you know, you know those moments. But yes, there were those marker moments. And I would say the next one happened right after I got married, which was not less than like two years after. And I ran across this quote by Epictetus, who's a Stoic philosopher that said, know first who you are, and then dress accordingly. And again, back to that identity piece, I was like, oh my God, this is it. This is what you've been looking for. Here's another breadcrumb. Your purpose and your identity are intimately connected. And the way you show up in the world is intimately connected. Let's figure that out. What does that journey look like? So in an earlier conversation, you mentioned to me that your husband was on a similar journey, possibly around trying to find the connection with spirit or however we like to identify that. Is this the same person that you married? Like, was yes. there any divorce? Okay. <laughs> I don't want to no, assume, no. but did he have that going on already when you two met or? Yeah. He's such an integral part of the story. So I'm glad you're mentioning him because I have to say, I mean, I think we develop best. I mean, me not talk to another life coach. I don't know, but there's so much value in developing in the context of relationship. And when you don't have that container, you don't always have the support that you need. And he grew up Catholic and his best friend growing up was Buddhist. And so he never really identified with the real like black and white thinking that was so ingrained in my mind. I mean, again, so immersed in that culture until I left home at 18. And I'm a type A type one reformer on the Enneagram. So you can imagine like that type of black and white religious thinking was a very good match for me in some ways, because that's what that type of person craves. And I no longer identify as that type of evangelical person. But my husband gave me permission to become me. And he went with me on this journey. And it was not always easy. But part of it was allowing me just to start experimenting with, okay, like if you were never ever given that ability to answer honestly, that question about your identity, who am I? You were always told who you were and told what to think in those types of environments. And so it dramatically shapes the way that you can show up in the world. And I feel like a broken record, but it is the truth. And I have to mention this at some point, but I wrote a book about this about a year ago. And there's a funny story attached to that. But my husband, during the last 15 years, we've been together for 20 years now, but 15 years married, has been the best container support loving partner I could ever wish for to become my essential self and find my essential personhood. And I feel that I have been that for him as well. That's so special. Do you feel like he's your soulmate? We were just talking about this the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do. I believe in that. Absolutely. He was like, yeah, but then that doesn't give me a choice. And the mm. difference is I choose to be here and love you. I'm choosing this. It might be part of my destiny, but I'm also choosing to be here. I love that answer. That's totally him. He's amazing. <laughs> but yes, I believe in soulmates for sure. I also think we have many kinds that serve us at mm -hmm. different times. So I think we still have choice and yes. be able to believe. Yeah. Like, I think there's room for both. Yes. That's my own belief system. Yeah, that's cool. That wasn't the question I was going to ask. But <laughs> I want to know about this book. I didn't know you wrote a book. Can you share about that? And what's the funny story attached to it? 
Okay, so just imagine like 10 years. So I get married at 25 and I'm 40 now. So for the next 15 years, I'm going through this kind of sifting process, deconstruction process. And doing that in your hometown or around people you know is very difficult because they're still attached to their belief systems. And I kept saying for about 10 years, I said, I feel like I'm breaking Amish. Like, I feel like I'm not fitting <laughs> into this anymore. And I don't know what to do. I feel so alone. You know, it's a lonely feeling and it wasn't always easy. And then we moved up to Portland about three years ago. And this city is so ironic because the city is the city of being your essential self, right? It's like, keep Portland weird. It's really more just be yourself. Anything that you want to be, you can be here. And so this culture, as wild, as unpredictable as it can be at times, also supports a level of personal expression that the atmosphere that I was immersed in in Southern California didn't allow for. And so I'm incredibly grateful for that. And last year I took a sabbatical from work and I had always wanted to write a book. And I thought, well, I'm going to write a book about this journey of returning to my own sense of worthiness, how my ideas about God shaped what I believed I had access to, what I was worthy of, and my entire life, like my entire life story, I'm just going to pour it out. So I found a publisher who was also helping people write book proposals because you have to create a book proposal, right? In this industry, didn't know mm -hmm. that, learned a lot about that. And we go through the process and they're like, oh, this is so great. Yeah, this makes sense. This is perfect. The book title is Deconstructing Style, The Spiritual Journey of Finding, Becoming and Expressing Your Essential Self. So it covers fashion and self-expression in your home. And anyway, I get done with a book proposal. I send it to them. Now, granted, I went through their course, right? And they were telling me the whole time, like, add this, get rid of this and all of that. And at the end, they said, you know, this is a really great idea, but I don't think we can market it. I don't really know who the audience is and we don't really understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> and I was like, you're like, I took your course. <laughs> I got an A in the project and this publisher also happens to come from a Christian tradition. And I thought, you know what? I just think maybe it's before it's time. I don't know. Maybe you can't hear it yet. Mm -hmm. And back to one of the comments I made earlier about being a way maker or however you want to define that. I think timing is really important here. So I thought, okay, well, that was a great exercise and kind of detailing my entire life story. Thank you. And I'll move on. You know, <laughs> it was just so ironic, Barcy. I was like, what on earth is happening right now? Because it's like it was one of those moments where you felt like I have to do this. I meant to do this. This is part of my design. Here it is. I birthed this book and yet I haven't been able to do anything with it yet. I just thought it was really ironic and funny. What do you think that means for you? Like, because I'm relating to this quote unquote problem, for lack of a better word, we'll call it a question. <laughs> The question mark around this, when we feel so driven from our intuition, from our core, you know, our soul is telling us to create X, right? And then we go do mm -hmm. it. And then whatever happens after that, no one shows up, depending on what it is, right? No one shows up or people don't get it or how you shared your story. And you mentioned timing. Do you think it just boils down to a not right now moment? Like, what do you think about that? I think so many things about that because I feel like the first 40 years of my life, I spent pushing towards my ideal vision of what I wanted my life to be, right? 
like striving for those goals, striving for those accomplishments, whatever, professional, personal, whatever they were. And when I look back at the things that actually happened for me, like happened for me, The doors that I couldn't have opened, they always included a season of preparation. It didn't always look like writing a book, but it looked like some Mm. sort of practice and investing some sort of energy towards a goal. And then there was a release and then it was like the door would open and some doors never open because I believe they weren't meant to be. But I do think timing and preparation is all connected. But I will say that some of my greatest open door moments, things that happened for me, are deeply rooted back to the identity question. When I was able to stand in my truth and say, I'm a podcaster, I'm an author, I'm an interior designer, I am whatever. I think if you're standing in that truth and believe, you know, to the very core of your being, that is who you are. And you understand, like, when you say something like that, that means there are people that you're meant to serve. That means that you're not meant to keep your gift for yourself. There are opportunities for you to serve because your gift will make room for you. Your gift is going to open those doors. But standing in that identity, I can count off like at least five examples of the biggest doors of opportunity that open just because I opened my mouth and said in that moment, I'm an interior designer. Mm. I had never said that to anyone before. Moments like that where you're really standing in your truth. I don't know how else to explain it, but. That's amazing. I think that's such a beautiful answer. I love where you went with that. And thank you for exploring that with me because I think it can get confusing sometimes when we are in it mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. don't get the quote unquote results that we're hoping mm-hmm. for in the moment that we want it. And mm-hmm. we throw the word manifestation around a lot in this culture and we throw around a lot of words that are in there and have expectations that get tied to it. So the only thing I think I would add is, and I think this is baked into your answer, but just to clarify it for someone listening is that life is not linear. So those doors that open will still <laughs> lead you to your shared mm-hmm. gift moment, but we have to change or allow space for the opportunity to be and look maybe a little different than what we thought it's supposed to look like, right? Like, You wrote this beautiful story about who you are and what you are and you shared it and you opened your mouth about it. I have so many experiences like that myself where as soon as I start talking about something, I really do talk it into existence and it becomes a big Mm -hmm. part of my life often if I want it to be. Sometimes I explore that so that I have a choice around it and then I can go, nope, actually that's not for me right Mm -hmm. now, but I want to explore it. So I'm going to see if a door opens and Mm -hmm. it's a fun way to play too with our choices But I think action is the key. That is the doing. That is the talking about it. Identity is such a big part of that too. So I love that you circled back to that because I think Mm -hmm. it really has power in how we decide to stand in our gifts and we do get to decide. Yeah. And it can change. And it can change. I mean, expectation, you just nailed it. You're spot on. I mean, getting to the point of surrender, saying, okay, this is what I have done. If I can speak to manifestation for a moment. Now that you know a lot of my background, you know, you can imagine there are a lot of people from my prior tradition that would just shudder at that word, right? Yeah. But the way I have used it in my own life and what I will teach on specifically when people are more spiritually open in those spaces is that all that is, is a co-laboring moment with spirit. I mean, nothing that I manifest, quote, manifest in my life is apart from that co-laboring relationship. Mm -hmm. And 
what I am manifesting, everything that is meant for me, I am worthy of receiving. So back to the identity piece, I think people get confused, especially in manifesting circles, which does kind of make me shudder. We can have this selfish ambition of manifesting. I'd like a Ferrari, so why can't I manifest a Ferrari? If you understand who you are and who you're meant to serve, then that creates the boundaries, if you will, around what is actually meant for you. You know, maybe as a spiritual director, I don't need a Ferrari. Maybe I do. Maybe because Oprah someday will call me and I will need to drive a Ferrari. But I'm just using that as an example. Like it will at least create some sort of self-control or awareness around what is really meant for you, you know, and asking that question because that's intimately tied. All of these questions are directly tied to who you believe you are, who you're designed to be and how you are designed to reflect that nature of spirit to the earth, that nature of God to the earth. At least that's where I go in my spiritual direction and what I believe we are here for. Yeah, I like that. And I can feel when I'm trying to bring something into my life, I can feel when it starts to get restricted. And it's usually because I'm getting hung up on the thing, whatever the thing is Mm -hmm. that's involved in what I want to bring in. And letting go of that thing is usually when things start to flow a little easier. (laughs) Because then it becomes more about like you said, like answering this question, right? Like answering what is really for my highest good that's meant for me that is not even in view for me yet. Or mm-hmm. it comes back to that expectation piece that we kind of touched on a moment ago too, like what we think it should look like and what we think we deserve. Mm-hmm. And it can get a little like muddy sometimes mm-hmm. when we are too zoomed in on what I'm going to again, call expectations and kind of zooming out and really asking what is an alignment? You know, what is the most authentic choice for me to live Mm -hmm. out this purpose, this reflection, like you shared. And I think the idea of co-creation is really interesting. I have to remind myself to use that word sometimes in my own practice, right? When I'm meditating or whatever I'm doing for myself spiritually is to remind myself that I'm not here alone trying to do all this stuff by myself. And even Mm -hmm. though it's, you know, self, growth and self-development, all these things. I'm not really an isolated being, (laughs) (laughs) at least not in my belief system and in context of this conversation. So this is leading kind of to my creativity question, which I know you're a creative person. You shared that a little Mm -hmm. bit already with being an interior designer and you wrote a book and all of these things are creative. So let me back up a little. When we briefly spoke before, you shared that creativity was kind of a piece that helped unlock some of this connection to spirit on this journey. Can you share your perspective on how those things are linked? Yes. Just for some context, because of the system that I grew up in, I just want to say this, this was never told to me. This was an assumption that I made just because of the environment I grew up in. I was very good at math and science. And for some reason you couldn't be in my head, I couldn't be smart and creative at the same time because the art students looked very different. You know, they did different things. I never identified as being creative. My mom was a decorator. She was the creative one in the family. And so I came, you know, even with that type of idea, as we all have in the family structure we're born in, people hold specific titles or roles. And I just wasn't that. And it wasn't until I had that experience in my studio where I surrendered everything that. I mean, what I was doing was shedding every single layer, right? That Vogue or my neighbor, you know, whatever idea I had that would bring me my own sense of self-worth. I had to shed all those layers and then ask the question, who am I under all those layers? And when you don't have someone telling you what you should be wearing by the season, 
or whatever the case may be, because Vogue and whatever magazines I was looking at at the time were giving me all that information, I had to dig deep in myself. And it was the year that my husband and I took our sabbatical in 2009. And I had this incredible dream. And in the dream, I was visited again by who I would refer to as angels. And they were removing things from me that I had been carrying like on my back. And as this was happening, it was like there was this light that came and this clarity that came in such a strong and yet gentle way that all I can say was that when I woke up in the morning, I knew that I knew that I knew that I could dress any way I want. There were no more rules, like every single rule that had been governing my mind and telling me what I could and couldn't do was completely gone. And it happened in a moment. And after that happened, it was like the world was in color for the first time. And the world was like, oh my gosh, like I've always wanted to wear that. I've always wanted to be that person. And that phrase, like Barcy, honestly, that phrase was my guiding phrase. I've always wanted. And it was that I felt like I was constantly being shut down or prohibited from following after what I always wanted because of my beliefs about God and who God was and what my family said I had access to. And so I said, you know what? Every single time I say that, I'm going to go after that. I'm chasing that. Why? What did that represent to me? Why is it important? And so it was a trial and error process. I mean, there were mistakes made along the way, but I'm saying I just like uncapped my ideas about my ideas about rules and what governs the way we express ourselves. For me, it started with fashion and it organically turned into the jewelry that I designed. And then it organically turned into the homes that I was invited into because of the jewelry I was designing for certain people. Mm. And it was this path. I love that you said it's nonlinear because obviously I said I'm very like type A, type one person, a very linear thinker. And all of a sudden I couldn't ever predict like how I ended up in the homes of these people that were, you know, their wealth capacity and who they were, were just like beyond me. I never, ever thought I would be in the home or presence of these people, helping them identify their style and helping them. And it's just like, it started from that moment, which when I think about it, it just reminds me of the like incredible power of truth that can be deposited into our life. (laughs) And you never know what the outcome is going to be. Right. Yeah. I mean, Oh my gosh, it gives me chills and I want to jump up and down and scream. It just makes me so excited because it's the most exciting thing in the world to me to co-labor with spirit and to have a relationship with spirit and to watch spirit move on behalf of other people. And that's the privilege that I get to observe in spiritual direction. Yes, I hear your perspective on it from both sides, meaning like when you're involved in it in your own life, and then the joy that comes from watching other people figure out this permission, it really is that permission piece that for me too, Mm -hmm. I connect with that so much. And when suddenly I realized that there is really no one else holding me from (laughs) anything that I say that I want, and everything shifted for me at that time too, and it felt so safe in a way that I didn't feel safe before, Mm -hmm. but I was doing things that were riskier. So why would I feel so safe? But it was Mm -hmm. because I unlocked this experience of permission, like what sounds like you did through this download from spirit in this vision that you had, or this dream. It was a dream, right? Yes, it was a dream. I love the way you shared that. And thank you for sharing that because as artists, as creatives, we're all creative. 
But for those of us that maybe engage in that process, maybe a little more often or identify that way, I think we're always engaging with this co-creation and having this Mm -hmm. opportunity to pose a question and to see what happens and to go on this journey. And it gets a little difficult when we start to restrict it, even the creative process, right? When we try to over-restrict it, not meaning boundaries and structure, but just restriction around our permission of what we might create. Mm -hmm. I like this linkage so much because... I think it's so easy to dismiss it and be like, oh, well, that's just easy for me. Like, I don't know. It's just something I do. Or maybe sometimes I don't do it and it's fine. (laughs) But it's so much bigger than that. And I think it's so much more meaningful without it needing to be heavy. That's not what I mean by big or meaningful. But I think that we are all more than we kind of make space for sometimes. And I'm hearing that in your story. Yeah. And I think I just, you know, listening to even the beginning of your podcast and the few episodes that I've been able to listen to, the fact that you recognize that creativity and spirituality are intimately tied is really incredible to me because you said it, a lot of people don't recognize that. And it wasn't until I unlocked my spirituality, my spirituality, that I unlocked my creativity, that I unlocked my self-expression, that I unlocked my sexuality. It was like out of that, everything flowed. And that's why I think it's so important. I love the focus on creativity too, because it reminds me of Michael Scott on The Office where he's like, (laughs) you know, everyone was told they weren't creative and they weren't going to do this commercial. And he's like, you're all creative. Yes, all of you, you're creative. And just (laughs) what a perfect you know, modern example of a truth teller, because he's absolutely right. And yet nobody believes that. I mean, the majority of people, I think, don't believe that. Right, right. And as a creativity coach, it kind of helps in the creative space with people who in podcasting, a lot of my clients show up not thinking they're creative. So Mm. it's an interesting place to kind of put that application into play and to bring people into their ultimately often a business idea (laughs) and add sort of this creative process to it and watch them make all of these Mm -hmm. discoveries. So back to the spiritual direction, which is where you get to really see people light up and Mm -hmm. have epiphanies and, you know, all the discoveries people can make when they start unveiling themselves, I'll say. Can you share with us maybe a little bit about how the process goes and then maybe something someone can do for themselves? Like where can someone start exploring this relationship with themselves? Yeah. So each session, I mean, it's different with every person. And just to give you an example, the way I work is very different than the way, you know, someone else might work. I have the spiritual director who I studied under. His wife is also a spiritual director and she starts each session. And I think you'll like this, Barcy, with each directee does a 30 minute collage that represents their relationship to their spirituality. And then they start kind of dissecting that after the collage is done for the remaining hour. And I mean, I love that so much. I might have to take that for myself, (laughs) but it gives people a tangible, it activates that part of the brain creativity, again, that makes it a little easier to identify thoughts and feelings that sometimes people don't have words for their experiences. And that really is like that guiding someone to give them language, to help them understand, to make observations about their life. And just this one question, where did you see spirit today in your life? Where did you sense Mm. spirit? If you started each morning by asking yourself that question, you're going to start to develop a language that you didn't know you probably had. 
And Mm -hmm. I teach a class on the languages of God. And I share all of the different types of languages I feel I've been able to interact with spirit with or how spirit speaks to me and how I seen spirit work with other people. And it's amazing. It opens people's eyes to like all different ways of like, oh my gosh, when I'm in, you know, nature, I feel more at peace with myself or just giving them moments to kind of reflect and pause. But that question, really, I started my own journey with the question, spirit, what are you doing today? And that might be the best question to ask, because when I started asking that, I saw spirit everywhere. And Mm. by the end of the day, I would be like, Joey, that's my husband, like, guess where I saw spirit today? And (laughs) he's like, okay, you know, (laughs) Oh, he was excited. He was excited for a while. But after a while, it was like, I had to talk to the dogs about it. But that's, (laughs) that's like juice for me. I'm like, this is the best. Like, guess what I saw spirit do today? And it creates an intimacy that actually changes other relationships in my life as well. You know, because again, Barcy, if I can just hit on this one more time, because of the culture that I was raised in, I believe that God was not in everybody, right? God was only in certain people. And Mm. so you tend to discredit people or their experiences, especially when they talk about their spiritual experiences, that that wasn't spirit. And I don't believe that anymore. And it's just... Yeah, it's just opened my world. So that would be the question. Spirit, what are you doing today? And journaling what you saw or what you sensed. It's a great way to start. I love that. I really do. And I love how much excitement and like play and giggle is in your voice when you talk about like, (laughs) oh, like, guess what? (laughs) It's what I witnessed or saw or, you know, there's so much fun in that. So even if someone maybe doesn't, I want to put this out there. Like if you don't buy it yet, if you're like, that doesn't, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) This feels weird, right? New things feel weird. If you've never done anything like this, Mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. And that's okay. It's okay for things to feel weird and uncomfortable. So if you're in that box right now, just see, like, ask yourself, like, what would it feel like to ask that question for me in my life? And maybe do it once or twice and see how it feels and just allow yourself to observe that experience if it's feeling strange to you. And if you're embracing it, then go for it. You know, I think that's really good, though, the feeling weird. If I can just add to that, when you ask that question, which is so brilliant, like, why does it feel weird? Does this feel weird? Why does it feel weird? And Mm -hmm. really sit with that question because, you know, I have a family member who, when they walk into a church, she'll have a panic attack and it's reflective of her trauma, you know, with that exposure to organized religion. And so I love spiritual direction in that it takes, it's inclusive. It's not exclusive. It's not about Christianity. It's not about Hinduism. It's not about Buddhism. It's not about anything other than your relationship to spirit. And we've had these facilitators or these groups of organized people telling us what that needs to look like for so long to be able to sit with someone and just have a conversation about that is really powerful. And so asking yourself the why would be very helpful to navigate through your feelings of discomfort and identifying, you know, well, you had a really bad experience. Let's work through that or not. But knowing why waking up to yourself is critically important. I mean, I think in any development process, and especially when it comes to spirituality. And when you say feeling uncomfortable, I'm just reminded, and I often say to anybody I'm working with in personal development or spiritual growth, it's like you're waking up your foot when it fell asleep. That's not comfortable, right? It's not comfortable, but it's going to go away. 
and you're getting your life force back into a part of you that is meant to flow, is meant to belong, is meant to work for you. And so the goal is wholeness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a lot of us are searching for. And this is another piece of that. It's a big piece of that. I love that analogy. That's so easy to grasp. Mm -hmm. So, and I love your sort of exploration to further explain, like the next question is why, why are you feeling that way? And only, you know, the answer to that, Mm -hmm. which ultimately is empowering because you're the one with the answers, you meaning the the person exploring their own spirituality as coaches, as directors. And I hope you agree. We're guides. We're guiding you to yourself, Yeah, but we're guiding you towards your own knowledge, your own deep knowing it's already there. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I have so many takeaways from our conversation, but if you had one that you would like someone to really understand from our conversation today, what would that be? I think that knowing that your personal sovereignty is yours. And if you have been in a situation where you felt limited in any way, you have permission to go on your journey in whatever way that looks like. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to justify it, but you have permission to go on your own journey. And even if that takes you away from the crowd, because spirit trusts you and spirit will guide you. And I just want to give people that, you know, if they're feeling hesitant or if they're feeling unsure, back to that, what I think I said to you originally, you need the keys to your own car. (laughs) You need to be in the driver's seat And if there are beliefs that are limiting you or have limiting you from your own spirituality, you have permission to take back those keys and they've always been yours. I love that. Thank you for that. And I, of course, 100% agree. I love that analogy. I had that in one of the questions, but we (laughs) kind of covered it in the other answers. So I'm glad you mentioned it because, again, it's such an easy way to understand how this can go and what it really Mm -hmm. means. So thank you for that. How can we connect with you? Well, right now, I'm also trying to making myself available in the best way. And I have a private Instagram group called Whole Life Design, W-H-O-L-E, Whole Life Design, that you can request to follow or you can DM me there. And that's at this point the best way. I do take private clients, but I'm also in the process of building out my offering. So we'll see. That's great. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I could talk to you for another three hours. (laughs) (laughs) I know I could too. I could too. And there's so much more we could unpack. So maybe we'll just have to bring you back. But I'm excited to see how this all evolves for you as well. And yeah, just thank you for sharing authentically today. I really, really, really loved having you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to People Begin. We hope that these episodes are helping inspire and empower you to take your next steps towards whatever you're thinking of creating. And if you want more tools, resources, and techniques for your creative process and to connect with me directly, then I'd love to invite you to our Unleash Creative Community. Just follow the link in the show notes and I'll look forward to meeting you there. Happy creating.